Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the curated online streaming service bringing you the best of global cinema. Go to mubi.com slash filmstage for your free 30-day trial today. back ladies and gentlemen to a brand new episode of the film stage show the movie review podcast for filmstage.com as always i'm your host brian j Rowe, and with me today we have robin Barr. hello we also have bill graham damn let that play that's that's got a little little thumpy <laughs> bass to it i didn't realize it, it hit like that christina my god did you never go to like a middle school dance where like clearly the person who set up the pa system had no idea how to mix the levels Oh no, 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 no! Uh, I mean, I've I've been to those those dances for sure. Oh yes, uh, yes. Now don't ever know. doubt that Bill so went to the dance. If anyone, if anyone out there ever had any curiosity, Bill one hundred percent went to dances in middle school. <laughs> oh, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember it hitting that hard. I need to, I need to bust that on my sound system sometime. <laughs> well, yeah, because we listened to it, it through out. like mono speakers in our parents' like 1992 Toyota Tercel, or through like the crappy <laughs> headphones with the metal wire that connected them, and our like giant thick vacuum tube television well like, never let's, heard let's, genie in the bottle the way it was meant to be heard let's, let's <laughs> be very honest what we heard was napster so we heard the five thousandth iteration <laughs> excuse me of, I, I like, heard it on z100 okay so well whatever not all of i us heard it on napster computers i can't even remember oh, i was gonna say dc 101 but i can't believe like, you threw that in my face robin <laughs> as we're doing a fucking podcast i didn't get internet until i went to college oh jesus christ wow. Where did get you out of here up again? long island right you were not like a sticks person no i just lived as one apparently <laughs> Carta Encyclopedia. Woo-hoo. Oh yeah, yeah on the on the discs. Yeah, that's yeah. how I discovered Soundgarden. There was this. I'm sorry. On, <laughs> what? The, on the on the CD-ROM of Encarta, yes. there was an entry for Soundgarden. Yes, and they did a little clip, and I was like, I like this clip. I was 13. Do you remember what the clip was? It was uh, Spoon Man for sure. No, it was definitely not Spoon Man. I'm Shoot, more of a spork it? man. It was we one of their, like, not as popular songs. Oh, okay. Okay, we, we got to introduce our guest. deep cuts yeah. of Soundgarden. <laughs> anyway, we've got a guest today who's been super patient as we've taken this trip down memory lane, and that is Bill Gabiri. Hi. What's it's up? It's thematic. <laughs> it's thematic. <laughs> Robin <laughs> is still trying to justify herself to us. <laughs> it's G- all about the anecdata. That's oh what the God. movie's about. Uh, Bilga, how you doing? How's it been? <laughs> I'm doing okay. How are you guys? God, great. How did you first learn about Soundgarden? Um, I'm trying to think. <laughs> you, you know what? What's funny is I, I had a I had a brief life as a music journalist. So um, around the time uh, that uh, you guys were uh, discovering uh, Christina Aguilera songs. Uh, <laughs> in your parents' cars, I was actually like covering some of these people. In fact, I remember covering the Napster Wars. Um, yeah. 
So, so, uh, but sound, yeah, you know, honestly, yeah. honestly, I was not a big Soundgarden fan. I knew Soundgarden, uh, basically because of that one album cover that was like all over the place. Oh, <laughs> the, the screaming face thing. Yeah, that one, that one. It was like, it was like, it was on posters everywhere. It was, uh, you know, it was every record shop had like a thing. So, um, that's how I learned of Soundgarden. But I will say that uh, Genie in a Bottle, I first heard at the club and at the gym. Like, that's where I remember hearing that song. So you heard that perfect bass that eluded Bill. So I, I, I heard the perfect bass, and that was the only thing I heard. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> at the club. Yeah. Right. The cl- again, with the bad mixing. The same person yeah. who set up my middle school dance was also working at whatever club. Yeah, you were probably. At. Yeah. <laughs> Mars 2000, 2012 or whatever the hell that thing was. Um, but yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Christina Aguilera. Um, yeah. I, probably the first time I ever heard Christina Aguilera was TRL. I'll be completely honest with you. That sounds like it. That's fine. That's what TRL is for. That's what TRL is for. Yeah. I Ooh, once, what's wrong with that? I once at a you know at a party when like that's where I heard corn for the first time. Oh hell yeah, <laughs> gone a leash man. Well, she yeah, that's definitely yeah. the only way you should hear corn the first time. <laughs> no, it's either that or like the weird kid in the back of the bus who's like, yeah. Um, ah oh, crap, I was gonna say something. Oh right, one time I was at a party and it was like four o'clock in the morning, and we'd all like exhausted ourselves and we were all like wasted. And we started like picking random dates and like just going through what was charting on TRL on those dates. Wow. It was, um, I'm surprised that all of us got out alive in all honesty. Cause if, <laughs> if there was ever going to be a group suicide, that would be the situation to make it happen. But anyway, <sighs> don't give me party ideas. Then, Brian. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Bill, would you like to introduce yourself to the listening audience? <laughs> Um, I am a film critic for, uh, New York magazine and Vulture, uh, and that's pretty much my day job. Um, I've written for a bunch of places uh, over the years, but that's kind of been my main gig for, for a while now. Where did you do your music criticism back in your Christina Aguilera days? It wasn't music criticism. It was, it was a lot of music writing. I worked for a magazine called Yahoo Internet Life. Um, which does not does not exist anymore. It was a print magazine, and it was not actually owned by Yahoo, although everybody uh. thought we were. So we would get like we would get letters from people asking for help, like doing Yahoo searches, <laughs> which was very exciting. Um, but it, it, they had like a like a branding agreement with Yahoo. So and this was before Yahoo became like a huge thing. So so we were people thought of, thought of us as Yahoo magazine, you know. Um, right for but, Yahoo uh, by Yahoo. Yeah, yeah, and I was there from like '99 <laughs> to 2002. So I was there for like the tech bubble crash. I was there for the tech bubble. I was there for the Napster Wars. I, I interviewed Prince. I did a cover interview with Prince at the time. I interviewed people like Peter Gabriel, um, you know, David Bowie. It was it was fun. Like it was it was actually I was I not. I mean, like the very first interview I ever did was with Roger Daltrey, who like screamed at me. Um, <laughs> so it was actually an interesting. Did he scream? Who are you? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. It was. It was actually they had just. This was when the Who had just announced uh, that they would be touring again, and this was. I mean, they hadn't. They they, they had not been together for a long time, um, and uh, it was. Uh, you know, it, it was tied into. They were doing it in. Um, they were being sponsored by one of the 
tech companies at the time, which I believe is not around, but um, they did a press day and I, and I asked them uh, something like, um, what do you say to people uh, who, who say this is just a nostalgia tour? And he just lashed out at me. He was not happy to hear that question. <laughs> yeah, I think I still have that recording somewhere. Um, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, so it was, I didn't really do any music criticism, but it was, it was, I, I wasn't like, music wasn't my main beat. It was, my main beat was like entertainment. Like I was the entertainment editor of the magazine. Hmm. And in those days, you know, when you were covering the internet and you were covering entertainment on the internet, you were covering music. Um, like short films right, on the was... internet were, were yeah, there, there were like little short films on the internet were, were starting to be a thing. And some people were saying, oh, this is going to be, and then there, occasionally somebody would try to release like, some terrible movie uh, via, you know, whatever the version of streaming was back then, real video or something. Um, well, I remember, but, uh, I remember waiting way too long to download the quick time of the BMW short films. Right. Yeah. Clive Owen. We covered quick all that. Time. Yeah. yeah, we, we I, covered. I the- think I, I think I still have that on DVD. I still have that on DVD. Those, um, yeah, those were crazy. Like they it was, it, it was such a big, they were, they were good. They were, it was such a big deal though. Like it was such a big deal. It was like, oh, God, why is making a movie for the internet? You know? Um, yeah. But, um, and, uh, but yeah, now, so, 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 uh, you know, I was given the job of, uh, entertainment editor, uh, and people knew that my main area of interest was film, but, because of the nature of the job, I had to basically like 90% of what I did was music, <laughs> um, which was fun, you know. Just trying. And then I left. Like, you know, I remember it was the Napster, LimeWire, Kazaa years, you know, you just. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Every mm-hmm. every school had that one guy who figured out how to burn CDs. I was that guy. I made <laughs> I made a decent amount of money doing it for people. God. Just just praying that I was getting the right songs because people on those sites were not great at actually doing what was right. Not great taxonomists. People would be I'm... like, yeah, Bobby McFerrin, that's the same thing as uh, Bob Marley. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. What it reminded me of actually was, um, and sorry, this is this is probably going to be a very boring uh, and hopefully not too long anecdote. But <laughs> when I was a, when I was a kid. Um, I remember, you know, I would go to Turkey in the summers, you know, go back home and the, um, you know, it was the days of like, you know, Euro disco and Euro pop. And so this is like the eighties and a lot of music that was popular in Europe did not come to the U S and a lot of music that was popular in, in the U S didn't go to Europe and a lot of, and, and Turkey was already kind of hard to, it was already hard to find certain albums and things like that. Um, I mean, CDs had, you know, CDs were starting, CDs were a thing, but a lot of stuff was just really hard to find. And I remember in Turkey, you would go to these stores where these guys would have like all these albums on display and then you'd give them a list of the songs you wanted. And then they would like record those onto a cassette tape. It was basically a bootleg operation. Oh my gosh. Um, and they would record it for you. And then like, and it was funny because like you'd have to come back like a week later. <laughs> you know, like it took them so long to do it. You have to come back a week later and get your tape. And almost always it, the songs were all wrong. Like, like <laughs> 25% of the songs were ever the correct ones because like the people who were doing it didn't actually necessarily know English. So you would write down mm. these titles for them and they would look at them and they'd find things that looked kind of like those and they'd put them on a tape and, you know, 
you'd get something totally different. This feels like something out of a coming of age movie. <laughs> yeah. <It's> like <laughs> looking yeah. back in here, like these like little and vignettes. The title, the title <laughs> of the coming of age movie would be something like my slightly imperfect mixtape. Something like that, yeah. Oh my god! Isn't that what your memories of childhood are? Exactly. I just, I just won Sundance with this anecdote, and and I'm now going. You've got to pick your framing (laughs) mechanism, though. Like, is this a guy who's writing like his memoirs, or is it like a grandfather trying to like connect with his grandson? Well, you know, I met your mother. every, Every section of the film has a chapter heading, and each chapter heading is is the is an incorrect version of a classic pop song. Oh my God, yes. Like a misheard lyric kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, a misheard lyric. Oh um, God. All right, uh, this is and, the, we're, we're stopping the recording because uh, I don't <laughs> want anyone to take this. We're all getting a co-writing credit on this. <laughs> it's going to be great. Um, all right, this is the cheapest co-writing credit I've ever gotten. <laughs> this know, is easy. Done, like no work. it's funny because almost like we just said four things that could perfectly segue into the movie review but i have to say first that we are found on twitter at film stage show facebook the (laughs) film stage show you can email us podcast at filmstage.com go on itunes or apple podcasts give us a comment or rating and of course go to patreon.com to give us your money and you get access to our slack channel where today we had to help someone understand why aubrey plaza is a thing because some people yeah. never watch Parks and Rec, apparently. Um, mm-hmm. So again, if you want to fair, get in, it's the thing that she like is the best in. It's just funny because he's like, I was looking at her filmography. Why is she so like you know well regarded? It's like, did you miss like the eight years she was on an incredibly popular TV show that like defined a yep, generation on primetime? Like, yep. Oh my god! But yes, he did miss that. So, <laughs> but we figured it out for him. Um, so yeah, if you want to be a part of that, go to Patreon.com/slash/TheFilmStateShow. Don't forget that we are also brought to you. By Mubi, uh, the curated streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film from iconic directors to emerging auteurs. There's always something new to discover. And with Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected, so it's like your own personal film festival streaming anytime, anywhere. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, the fantastical Hungarian animation Bubble Bath from 1979. Is anyone familiar with this? Never no. heard of this. I've also. heard of it, but I, I don't. I don't know it. I mean, this is why you go to Mubi because uh, unlike other places where you're going to get snowed under with all of their weird selections, Mubi uh, features a brand new film every day. There's 30 that rotate. So this one, cursed with the anxiety of existence, neurotic characters of this animated feature not only contort into fantastical shapes, but even break out into jazz songs. A love triangle farce with a political heart. This gorgeously restored cult hit lampoons the stagnancy of 1970s Hungary. So that's one of the awesome, cool-ass things that you can see if you become a subscriber to Mubi. And if you would like to get a little taste first before you buy in for real, you can do that by going to Mubi.com slash the film stage. Again, you can try Mubi for free for 30 days by going to M-U-B-I.com slash film stage for a whole month of great cinema for free. So that's that. Uh, do we have anything to discuss before we, at long last, launch into our review of 3,000 Years of Longing, the newest film from director George Miller? I think that's the first time I've mentioned what this episode's about. I think I forgot to even do that up front. We're talking about 3,000 Years of Longing. 
Does anyone have anything to say before I play the trailer? No. <laughs> All right, great. Here is the trailer. My name is Alethea. My story is true. I am a solitary creature by nature. I have no children, no siblings, no parents. I did once have a husband. If there is fate, who can say? But in the Grand Bazaar of Istanbul, I chose a memento. I like it. Whatever it is, I'm sure it has an interesting story. All right, that is part of the trailer for 3,000 Years of Longing, a new film in theaters right now. Uh, this movie is about a narrative scholar who goes on a trip to Istanbul and uh, discovers a gin in a bottle and who is made to make three wishes. So let's talk about it. This movie stars Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton. And um, yes, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's all I got to say. So let's just jump right into it. We begin, as always, with our nutshell overall thoughts on the film. And let's begin with our guest. Bill, what do you think of 3,000 Years of Longing? I, I love the film. Um, I have now seen it three times. Um, and I... One for every thousand years worth of I know. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm making my way uh, through the years. Um, I really enjoyed it and i i saw it um i did i wasn't at Cannes, but i did see it without knowing anything about it other than the fact that you know george miller had made it and that it started your Elba until the swing so i didn't even know it was set largely in istanbul um and it it reminded me honestly i said this in my review that it reminded me a lot of kind of you know it's inspired by the thousand and one nights and it, and it has that that quality that very kind of fairy tale storytelling you know quote unquote exoticized quality um but actually the other thing it reminded me of is like certain films from the 90s that were mm-hmm. often really ambitious in their kind of in their emotionality, but also were like these narrative puzzles almost. Um, I mean, that we, we had a lot of films like that and I, like movies like, um, you know, um, like Vincent Ward films and, and even like Leo's Carax films, there was a kind of unabashed melodramatic quality to it that I, that I, that I really enjoyed. And that, that felt like a throwback to a kind of filmmaking that, and he he wanted to, you know, he started working on this film in the late 90s. But I wonder if some of that, some of the quality of filmmaking from that period sort of rubbed off on on Miller as well. Um, so, yeah, that was, you know, those were some of the things that that it reminded me of. I'm also a very big fan of George Miller. I mean, I love the Mad Max films, but I'm also a huge fan of Lorenzo's Oil. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of his non-Mad Max films as well. So, uh it felt very much like one of those very upset, you know, interested in the idea of storytelling and the importance of words and things like that. All right. Robin Barr. Um, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I really enjoyed this movie um, much more so than I was expecting. I can see why a lot of people wouldn't like it. So, you know, I'll just start off by saying, I get it from, from that perspective. Um, but you know, as I was watching, I just kept thinking like, I'm just digging this movie. I'm just 
here, not bored, which is a feat, I think. Um, and just got into the rhythms. And I, and I totally agree with you. There's some really strong nineties quality to it that I can't even really, like, it's like a, it's ineffable to me. I can, I, there's no movie I can compare it to realistically just from my own uh, Rolodex of films, but it just feels like the nineties to me. It might be, I don't know, the Kazam thing about it. Like <laughs> it, I really, so I can see one of the criticisms maybe being the use of CGI or special effects. Um, but I, that's actually one of the things I really, really liked about it was that almost like painterly style that, you know, it's not going out of its way to be um, overly realistic, but it's not going out of its way to not look like a movie from the nineties either. I don't know. <laughs> like somebody, I think, I either saw a tweet or somebody in our um, Slack channel said that it looks like a nineties rom-com or sorry, no, an, a CD ROM from the nineties, like a, like a game from the nineties come to life. <laughs> and I don't know where I saw that, but I was like, yes, like that's one of the things I really dig about it. It's just, it, it's yeah, like, it's like the, a red alert cutscene. <laughs> yeah. The visual effects are just like not trying to be too much about like, a, like verisimilitude or something. You know, it has yeah, it its like own a- sort of sparkle. I just said something that was about to get me murdered. I was going to say, it's like a Zack Snyder film. Oh, God. Uh, (laughs) There are aspects of it that are very reminiscent of like 300 Sucker Punch kind of. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Like the the fantastical nature of this of the CGI. Um, So I I really enjoyed that. I liked the lead performances. I thought like Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba have really strong chemistry there are things about the movie that are quite imperfect that i do want to get into which has to do with sort of a like the what leads to the third act and how i didn't quite really understand the the emotionality behind it but what what i did like and bilga you kind of alluded to this was that 1001 nights kind of story within a story. And it's obviously very self-reflexive. I mean, you don't make a movie about a narratologist without having it, having your story say something about storytelling. So like, that's, you know, very, very wink, wink and not always my, my taste, but I just found myself getting really drawn into the vignettes um, in a way that I wasn't expecting maybe. Oh, you know what? It, you know, it does remind me of, I was thinking about this, like if, if anybody's familiar with the Matteo Garoni films, like tale of tales or mm-hmm. uh, his version of Pinocchio, like that's, it's just got that like weirdiness that I really mm-hmm. enjoyed. Um, so not nineties movies, but <laughs> again, they all have that same kind of 30 year old retro quality to them. The, the, I don't know, these like little, almost like Pasolini-esque story within a story uh, narrations that I just totally enjoyed. And maybe that's just a genre that I like and it has nothing to do with the direction, but I just enjoyed it. All right. Bill Graham. I did not enjoy this movie that much. Um, I think it passes its time fairly well. Um, but some of the 
some of the stories inside of it were were kind of heartbreaking and I, I actually wish that there were less of them and maybe we could focus on it more um i thought that was kind of an interesting aspect that there there are a lot of little vignettes um and i think at the heart of it i just don't quite understand the relationship between the writer or the what, what is she called? She's not an anthropologist. A She's narratologist. a narratologist. Um, so I, I, I think that relationship between her and the gin is a little is interesting, but not in necessarily a good way. I found it confusing at times. I found it um, uh, a, a little haphazard um, and what the detriment of all of these small vignettes is, is that it takes away from the narrative of Swinton and Elba being together. Um, and I found that when they are talking to each other, I was actually pretty interested. Um, and I found the, the going back and forth, back and forth, um, a little jarring and it, it, never quite settled in for me on like a, like a set tone. Um, and so I just, I ended up not really enjoying it as much as I wish I had. Um, I am a huge, uh, Mad Max fan. I've loved the series all along. And so I really, really, uh, want to appreciate more of, of what Miller does. Um, but to be honest, I haven't really liked anything outside of the Mad Max franchise that I've seen from him. Um, you know, babe is cute and I, all right. How dare are, you? I, we, uh, I, I avoided he, he, happy. He is not technically the director of babe. Wait, what? He directed babe two, uh, lost in the okay. city, but not, but not the first babe. Interesting. Not okay. Cute babe. He did not direct the cute babe. He directed psychotic babe. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> he did not uh, direct Baram you that'll do pig. He directed uh-huh. I don't fucking even know how to describe that. Okay. Interesting. Um well then I don't think I've seen any of his movies outside of the Mad Max franchise. Um this is my first foray into into that. Um I avoided Happy Feet like the plague. I was not into uh dancing penguins. You didn't uh, want to no, see thank you. Hugh Jackman as an Elvis impersonator penguin? <laughs> I didn't even know he was in that. All I knew really was Robin Williams was in it. Um but no, I I, I didn't have a lot of interest. What? Wait, no, you're thinking of. Oh wait, no, Robin Williams is in in that one. He is right. Yeah, he's the he's like the rock hopper penguin who's like Hispanic. No, <laughs> he's not the main one. It's been a while since I've seen this movie. No, he's no okay. the main one is like Elijah Wood. Jesus. Okay. Well, and, and clearly, I've never thinking. seen this movie. <laughs> no, you haven't. <laughs> Sorry, right, you don't um, have to. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, I've seen the trailers. Uh, was not interested. No, thank you. Um, so, yeah, this is I, I never saw Lorenzo's oil. I never saw which witches of Eastwick. Is that, is that what it is? Correct. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, although it's got a hell of a cast now that I'm like, Oh shit, that's, that's a crazy ass cast. Um, it's not great. Yeah. That's what I've heard. I've heard it's very sh- shaggy. Um, that it's just, it's got a lot of ideas that don't quite meld. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I wish I liked this movie more, but, um, yeah, that's that's about it. That's good enough. Okay. Um, yeah, I wasn't a fan of this movie either. I um I grew very tired of it very quickly. Um I didn't find I think the problems begin for me when I find out that the main character is a narratologist. <laughs> and I think if you hear that and if you hear the opening line, which is like, my name is Alethea, whatever her name is, uh, you know, this is my story. But I think it'll be better if I tell it like it's a fairy tale. I was like, all right, Alethea, for fuck's sake, just like, come on. Like, I hate this. So immediately I was not on this movie's side. And I don't think it ever just was. Just too whimsical? That. Yeah, I just like, I can't, I've been struggling over the last 27 hours to try to figure out what about that just immediately turned me off? And I think it is that like, it's too whimsical. It's too knowing. And I think that if you're into that, then you're into that and you're going to like it. And if you're not, then you're, you're starting, you're to quote the bear. Uh, you're starting it fucked and it's impossible <laughs> to build back from fucked. Um, and I just like, you know, I hear that and I'm like, Oh, all right. And then she's like, I'm a narratologist. And I was like, Oh God. Okay. And then she's like there for a symposium and, they do the thing where they talk about how like, Oh, our gods are being sublimated and now they're comic book characters. And I'm like, Oh God. And I just, it it was at that point that I realized that like, I wasn't going to be able to connect with these characters on a human level. And, uh, if you know anything about me, it's that I love to connect with characters on a human level. Um, in fact, last weekend I was able to connect with Idris Elba on a human level when he was battling a lion. And so I was like, this is great. It's another Idris Elba movie. This is going to be perfect. I, I love this guy. And I just like, was not interested for this whole movie. And um, I didn't find the, like, I guess, conceit of the first two thirds of the movie, wherein he's kind of like explaining his life to her to try to like convince her to like make some fucking wishes already. And the turn, I think, you know, that Robin, you kind of alluded to, did not play at all for me. I like, In my almost empty theater, I nearly stood up and was just like, oh, what the fuck? Come on. No, that's not what's happening right now. There's no... it. it so, yeah, unfortunately, I think this is... This is like trying to feed lettuce to, uh, you know, like an anteater. It's just, it's not my diet. You know, it's not what I need. I, there was never... There was never any hope that I was going to really like it. I didn't think I would turn from it so much as I did I I really thought that I would be like I can understand why people would like this but it's not for me but for me I'm just like how do you hear like the first 15 minutes of this movie and like stay on its side so I'm glad we have two people here who liked it I'm always disappointed when I'm on Bill's side but (laughs) sometimes we just have to take the the dice that we're dealt you don't deal dice it's very late and I'm very tired but I'm trying to make good (laughs) analogies still um so yeah, I just it's uh, I, I'm going to be interested to talk more about it and uh, to hear the parts that worked for people and that really grabbed them and moved them along. Um, I, I kind of wish that I liked it more. I think that there's some imagery that's fairly 
nice, but like none of it really struck me as particularly powerful. I it, I didn't ever feel like the painterliness of it. I uh, George Miller, I almost only get revulsion from his films. Like that's the only thing that he does that ever really sticks with me, which is why I think something like Fury Road is so effective because it's nothing but revulsion. And then the moments you get where it's not revulsion are such a nice, beautiful respite that you can understand how these poor beleaguered humans are feeling such uh, like relief from it. And it helps to make their outsized emotions make more sense. Whereas in this movie, I was just like, Oh God. So anyway, that's, that's my review. Oh God. It's like, I can see everything you're describing and it just so happens that like, I liked those annoying things about it. And I'm very surprised that I did like, Right. You're the, the bunny. I am the anteater. You know, you're no, nominal. Yeah, yeah. Lettuce, I'm just like, I'm, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Give me more of that, like, anecdote shit. I love it. I will say that I do agree that this movie, I was watching this movie and I was like, I would watch this, you know, 10 years old, home with a fever. My mom's got to do something. And so I've just got the remote and I'm clicking through and it's not time for children's programming. And I'd land on this on like TNT. And then I would say to mom. Or HBO. No, like this is definitely like a TNT like (laughs) film. Like I'd see it edited, you know, and so I wouldn't realize that there's sometimes tits. Um, And and I would just say to mom like, hey, did you ever hear of a movie? There's like a a genie. And like a, a professor, and she'd be like, oh, I think I remember that. That came out like a couple years ago. Yeah, I never saw that. It was a flop. <laughs> she'd say like, yeah, I never saw that. And then just like go do something else. And I'd be like, okay, I guess some people don't see movies. Like, and then I would never think of it again. Um, but yes, here we are. So only child Ryan could appreciate this movie. I don't think I would have even liked it, though. I think I just would have been like, oh, that's a weird thing that I just saw. <laughs> mm. a, a yeah, yeah, I do think it's... A <laughs> Oh, we really, we got to move out of spoilers or like into into spoilers, spoilers, into spoilers. I'm down to move into spoilers. Like if I didn't realize that a big lady falls down and break a rock is a spoiler, but we can do that. No, because I think, I think we need to talk about sort of the, the flow it goes into. And that it, it requires not being in spoilers. Yeah. Okay. Robin, I don't know. Bilga, what do you think? (laughs) Well, I'm curious what, what Bilga thinks about this, but. I because we're both folks that enjoyed this movie. I liked it. I did not understand her choice of wish. So throughout the first two thirds of the movie, she's because she knows all of the tricks of the trade, because she has studied folklore and probably like all every single type of you know hero archetype story, she knows that to follow through with a a gin's, you know, whole thing. Wishes. Yeah, but just it's but it's like a it's an apparatus, right? Right. Like don't don't if you come across a trickster god, maybe like don't do anything with him. Maybe just go exactly. Home. Exactly. So she avoids making any decision for most of the minutes. film. Yeah. And he's trying to convince her all the reasons why she should give in to him. And it's mostly like a pity play, right? And then finally, she decides, my wish is to love you. I'm going to bring you home and I'm going to pour my love onto you. And part of me is like, oh, I did not realize that that is 
that kind of chemistry because they had a lot of great like lead chemistry, but I did not feel romantic chemistry. And so that kind of took me by surprise. And then secondly, other than the fact that he's hot, what's the like, why? Why did you decide to love him? And I just so that kind of fell a little flat for me. But I'm I'm curious, Bill, if you what your thoughts were, since you also overall enjoyed the movie. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, I, I know what you mean in terms of that being kind of the turn, um, because it's not, you know, in sort of a traditional movie sense, it doesn't quite make sense. Um, the reason I met with it was because that's kind of something in, I mean, you, you'll see it in the Thousand and One Nights and you'll see it in a lot of these kind of um, sort of older story collections, which is someone falls in love with someone telling a story. Um, and that's kind of, I mean, it's just like a, when you say, you know, the film is fanciful, that's sort of, that's part of its design. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point, and I, I will say one thing, um, just to, to, to jump back on uh, something that Brian noted, like the first 15 minutes of this film, like it, it totally had me. Cause I, I know, I know people like this. Um, and and I know I mean I'm sure we we all know our share of academics and stuff, but like I, I know people like, I know people who go to conflict story conferences and talk about myths and things like that. I mean, and I, I thought it really captured that sort of collegiality really well, actually. Um, and and so and and you know you'll see I mean things like that happen in lots of places, but they they absolutely do happen in Turkey too because you know they, they often happen in places where a lot of kind of where you'll find a lot of history and things like that. Um, so that, that, that really worked for me. So I was totally with, with the film right from the beginning. And, and but I was also with this kind of fanciful conceit of, I don't need to be directly emotionally involved in like what's happening to these people, but I was moved by, by the design of the film, if you will, by, by the actual storytelling itself, as opposed to the specifics of the story. Sort of like um, Simpsons triptych type of thing. Sort of like Simpsons triptych type of thing, you know. Um, no, but I, I, I loved, you know. I, I mean, I, I do love that kind of story. That sort of that, that tale that sort of jumps from story to story to story and kind of works towards um, some kind of overall point. Um, and you know, you, you mentioned, um, you know, you mentioned Pasolini. Obviously, Pasolini made a film of. Uh, a thousand and white one nights um which has that quality obviously you know he did he did the trilogy of life so he did the cameron and the canterbury tales all, all three of those films have that quality to them but his other films have that quality as well um i really and, like those movies so i'm also yeah, biased yeah no I, I love them too um and and uh, while george miller is a very very different filmmaker than pasolini i do think that he has that kind of like he's somebody who I think is not necessarily an intellectual, but but he has that sort of um, that kind of aspiration. I, th- I think he's fascinated by people like people like um, Alethea um, or characters like that, and because because um, you know Lorenzo's oil, the characters in that film are like that too, and those were real people um, that he you know that he made a film about, and obviously he wasn't drawn to them necessarily because of who they were; that he was drawn to them because of this real life story that that was quite dramatic 
those characters were like that. They're, they're like that in the film uh, of Lorenzo Zoyle. And I actually, I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago and I asked him about that. And he's like, well, they were, they're like that in Lorenzo Zoyle because that's what they were like in real life. Um, mm. I think he's really drawn to people like that. Um, so, so I get what you mean when you, you know, when you say that, that the fact that she falls in love with him doesn't necessarily work on this kind of visceral level uh, in the film, but it worked for me uh, because of the way like that was almost like what had to happen because of the way the story is structured. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, and it was inevitable. Uh, is it sort though? of? Yeah. Like she only distrusts him. And then like when she first said like, Oh, my wish is that you love me. I was like, is this like, what are you trying to do? Like, are you trying to make it so that he like, will keep you from making shitty wishes like everyone else. Well, like, well, but, but instead but she's like, no, I've, I've lied about being happy. I just, it almost felt, and I'm not, I hate doing this. I don't want to be this person. It felt a little retrograde. It felt a little mm. like anti-feminist to be like this woman who's very accomplished and says she's okay being alone is actually lying. She wants this genie to love her. I'm sorry. It's a gin. I know it's a gin. They say they only say gin in the movie, but I keep saying genie because I was raised on Aladdin and well, Christina Aguilera. I, I, I think I, I think they're interchangeable, though. To be fair, I I you know I'm not willing to take that risk. I'm gonna. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want this to be the thing that cancels me. I'm just gonna say that. So I'm gonna start saying gin more. But yeah, it just felt really weird for her to be like, like I was kind of. Like in in the only way that I had curiosity as to where this movie was going, I was like, "How is this woman going to navigate the narrative uncertainty or like trickery of like how do I ask for a wish to like let this guy go, uh, but like not get you know strangled up in the the mechanisms of the plot?" And the answer was that suddenly she's <laughs> this is the part that's going to get me canceled. Suddenly she turns into a girl and she's just like, "I want you to love me," <laughs> and um. It just was really weird to me. It like really, it really caught me off guard, and I didn't feel it, and it didn't make sense to me even on a narrative level. Like I don't feel like I'd gotten much of that from her at all in the movie. But she did so, have a sort of like Lady Doth protest too much. Yeah, that's thing I think about that's her. Kind of the, I mean, that's part of the story is that she's closed herself off. Um, for a variety of reasons. And, 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 and Brian, I get what you mean in terms of, you know, I don't think retrograde is, is the word for it, but, um, you know, in the case of this character, you know, there is a sense that she's sort of denied herself, you know, desire and things like that because she's afraid of getting hurt um, because she has gotten hurt. Um, and I think that's mm-hmm. kind of what the film is, I mean, that's what the film is about. It's, right? it's about, it winds up being about the fact that in order to, in order to feel love, you have to also be okay with loss. Um, and, and that's, you know, that, that I mean, that, that's what, that's what Jin's story is. Um, and so she's, it's not just that she's falling in love with him because he's so cool. I think she's falling in love because she, she, she's suddenly opening herself up to the idea of love um, after many years. Why? <laughs> I guess is I'm still having a trouble. Like, I know she says like, oh, I want you to love me the way you loved these, these women in this. I, I want to know what it's like to have someone. This is what she says, but it's kind of what it felt like she meant was like, I want someone to suffer like that for me. And I just like, I, I, I don't know. I think- it just, it never, it, it, 
it there's a way it could have played and i don't know i maybe like tilda swinton's just not the person to do it besides seems a little too cool too cool (laughs) with actually being alone bill please i'm sorry i kept going on uh besides I just Elba obviously being a hot gen. Like I think <laughs> the intellectual side of him is also incredibly enticing. Like, can you imagine? Like, she's a narratologist. I think I said that right this time. Uh, she's a narratologist, right? So she's clearly like studying history and and all of this stuff. And imagine running across someone that's three thousand years old or or longer, right? And it has gone through all of this history and, and all of this stuff. Um, I think even it, it, like right out of the gate, doesn't he like he kind of challenges her or she kind of challenges him about uh, the way that that opening. I, I can't remember who's who's the romance at the at the very start. Um, like Gilgamesh. Uh huh. Queen of Sheba. The Queen of Sheba. Yes. Yes. And she's like, oh, well, I thought it was this way. And he's like, oh, no, I was there. (laughs) Like, this is how it happened. And I imagine that that kind of sparks her curiosity in, oh, he's he's lived this life. Right. And, you know, she's not going to doubt this person that just exploded out of like a bottle right she's just like okay uh you definitely are what you say you are right uh she hasn't quite settled on whether she he's a trickster or not right that's kind of her her standoffishness but i think i I mean i can imagine that she's very interested in his experiences and his intelligence and like Just like how towards the end, one of those last stories is about the woman that's kind of trapped up in her tower and like just devours all the histories and stuff like that. Like, I can imagine that she's like, well, I don't need a book. I got you. You can tell me stories, right? And and you can create them. You can, you know, because I like to imagine that, yes, he's telling her the stories, all of these stories, but I imagine that he's also giving her some visual aids as well. Um, and so, you know, I can imagine the combination of those two things and that he's also hot, uh, is probably incredibly enticing to just like, you know, you can say, I guess the wish was, I want you to love me like you loved her right that's kind of like the wishes uh like verbalization and so i imagine it's just like yeah i can see i can see why that would be enticing so Hmm. well she i mean so so the story of zephyr um which is the story he tells right before all this Mm -hmm. which i uh, I can't. I, I haven't checked to see if any of the stories are long. I, I feel like that's maybe the longest of the stories, though it might not be. Um, but I think it uh, I, but, I don't know. I felt like he was with those, like that murderous brother, for like seven hundred years. Like that, <laughs> the, that middle story, I was like, "Wow, this is just going to keep on going, isn't it?" Um. Well, I think that uh, the story of Zephyr kind of turns on the genie 
falling in love with her, right? And and effectively kind of capturing her, right? I mean, entrapping her in her own way. Like she's already trapped up there, uh, and she's trapped by this, you know, loveless forced marriage. But he traps her even further, and he gives her the gift of knowledge. But he also falls in love with her, and you know, there is a kind of mirroring that's done between Zephyr and Alethea um, insofar as I think it's, Alethea kind of has the knowledge, right? She she has the knowledge. Um, that's, I mean, there's that little, there's that great little shot of of, uh, of Zephyr's leg sort of, uh, you know, she's like kind of shaking it in that, in that twitchy way. And that, 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 I don't know what we call that, like a tick. Um, yeah, she's like after she gain after she yeah. after she get after she gains all that knowledge, she does that, which is what Alethea was doing in the opening scene on the on the plane. Um, so it's like this kind of this obsessive quest for knowledge, and then the and then the jinn sort of has this idea of falling in love with her and 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 giving her this love, giving Zephyr all this love, which of course winds up entrapping her. Like that's not actually what she wanted. Um, and and I think Alethea kind of recognizes sort of that equation, and she she has the knowledge. She doesn't need the, you know she doesn't need the gin to give her all this knowledge, but she's kind of captivated by the idea of love. And and at that point, you know she's she's opened herself up at this point. Um, so it makes sense that she would she would you know she would ask for his love in in that way. Um, and all the stories turn on that idea. I mean, all the stories turn on the idea of love and captivity, um, and 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 sometimes it's physical captivity, and sometimes it's emotional captivity or spiritual captivity. So, what do you make? Well, what do you all make of the last ten minutes of the film, though, um, when she does bring him home, but it's not, it's not really like. Again, is that paradise? That was well, I, maybe the last fifth, but yeah, but but I the don't know, yeah, but like, action I, of the last ten minutes. I was confused because he, I guess it's like it. it uh, he he talks about how like they're in London. And he's like, "Wow, it's so loud here with all the 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 cell phones and the satellite dishes and everything." But I'm like, "Don't they have that fucking shit in Istanbul? Like, isn't like why is this only coming up now?" But that was more of me just honestly being like, are we, is George Miller saying that like Istanbul is like a backwater? No, he was in a friggin' well, bottle. But he was in the hotel room and he's like, got the doors open and everything. He was hyper focused. He was, I, I, he was, I, I, he's I mean, ADHD. I mean, he hyper fixated on Alabama. I mean, look, at this point, the film has completely lost you and, and, and you're obviously just like hating your life. So I wasn't Ooh, hating my life. eating crackers. I was, I was, no, I mean, at, at that point, you, you're obviously going to be asking questions like that. I mean, if, if, if you, if we buy right. into the movie, you know, like. Right. Because the spell has not been cast on me i am i am not focusing <laughs> I'm a on free agent I, yeah, but no, yeah. well, what i, I, I tell him like it is i say this all the <laughs> I mean, time he, is that like i will see a movie and be like there are questions i could have but i'm so wrapped up in the characters and their situation that i'm not going to ask those questions and even if i hear them yeah. or have them later i just be i don't care because the the effect of the movie was so strong and so good that it, it's not going to affect me yeah, but this, this is like, like you, this is, that, that's this, sort of like the oh sorry, go ahead. Well, this this the that. problem is that this is a fucking actual plot point that we then have to reckon with is that he is 
beginning to degrade because of of this thing and he like makes a point of talking about the second he's out of the lamp i i have an answer for you okay what was it so the easy answer is that you're you're comparing let's take uh a city in iowa and then you're comparing it to London, one of the most populous so cities again, in, so we are in the saying world. That Istanbul, Turkey. Is okay, all right, all right, all right. Okay, sorry, sorry. I, I'm sorry. I have to put in here. Okay, I mean, like, my family's from Istanbul. Right, Turkey, that's what I'm so. saying. <laughs> but, but this is not. But this is this is silly. I mean, this is not about whether Istanbul is a backwater or London is a back. The point of the thing is, he is coming into the modern world. He's come further into the modern world. I mean, that's. that's this whole thing of the story is, you know, the the jinn, you know, in order to to, you know, to assume human shape and sort of live like a human, mm-hmm. he's, you know, he's killing himself. Like it's 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 killing him to do this. Like physically, it's he's like decaying because it's not a thing he's supposed to be doing his whole life. Um, well, it's, it's so it, so that's the idea. I mean, that's the idea there. It's not I mean, yes, it's loud. Maybe maybe, you know, George Miller is is, I don't know, uh, you know, like thinks of London as being a louder place than Istanbul. It probably is. But um, but I don't think that I, like, I, like that specific detail is irrelevant. I think at that point, I think it's just that he is, you know, further and further into today's world and to the human world. And it's not necessarily his his world that's not that's not where i mean that's not that's not the land of the jinn like that's the not issue seems to be that it's the modernity it is it is the invisible waves and radiations of the modern world that are causing him to to de- dematerialize or to weaken like it's it's like if if he if he was back in sheba's time like he was he was in human form like all the time and it didn't matter cuz they didn't have cell phones and microwaves and and radio and all that other stuff Sure. I mean, it's kind of about, you know, it's kind of about the idea of, you know, myths in the modern world. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's a metaphor at that point. Yeah. And she makes a point of saying like, you know, our, our, you know, she talks about it really like our gods have shrunk and disappeared and they, yeah, she talks about, I can't even remember what her exact words are, but she makes the point of like, there's the, the realm of the djinn and this place may no longer be hospitable to your kind. But yeah, so like I don't even I don't even remember. Robin, you'd asked something about this, and I <laughs> immediately. I was just like, curious. So so he does eventually break down mm-hmm. and disappears, mm-hmm. and then returns sort of briefly. And regardless of the logistics of his dematerialization or whatever, what do you make of the metaphorical power of? of that final so action so that's actually one of the parts that sort of worked for me is that like she but this is uh okay so she's like realizes like i wished for you to be in love with me but love isn't something that can be commanded it's a choice so the second that i wished for you to be in love with me it became impossible for you to be in love with me totally makes sense she wishes that he would go home he's released he leaves he gets to get better because it's it's basically like um I don't know, like radiation or like, you know, holding your breath and going underwater. Like you can do it for X amount of time before like the the bad environment starts to kill you. So he leaves to go back to the realm of the djinn, regains himself because he's out of the, the like, you know, invisible mesh of our modern world. 
And then after three years, I guess he's like, I'm feeling good. I really miss her. I actually am in love with her now. And he shows up. And like the the final narration of the of the movie is her saying like, you know, he would always come back. He'd stay way too long. You know, he'd be like way past when he would have been safe for him to leave. And I'd have to like beg him to go and then he would leave. But he'd always promise to come back during my lifetime. And that was enough. So like. That actually, uh, the ending I'm on board with. Like, I like that. Like, that's a cool, uh, to me, a cool idea. But, like, the problem I have is that everything leading up to that didn't sell me on that, their relationship and their, their, like, love for each other outside of her being a stereotypically, like, lonely person, uh-huh. which to me is less than compelling and, like, kind of undersells her character. But, like, I like that that idea that like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, he, he can't stay, but he wants to be there. And like in releasing him, she's actually, you know, got gotten him somehow. Like the whole, like, you know, if you love something, let it go. Yeah. 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 It's, it's just, I guess it's like the consent. Song, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think, I think you're, I, I think you're right in this sense in that it is, I mean, I, I, I love the ending of the film. Um, but I do think that, you know, and again, this is all, I mean, I, I, honestly, it, it, it's, it's really about, like, if the movie's working on you, it, it, it worked. And if it's not working on you, uh, you know, that's just, I'm sure, agonizing. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because, you know, because, because, because the film requires you to have a certain amount of, um, I mean, you, you sort of have to, to accept sort of half metaphorical nature of things. And that's, you know, like the, I mean, the Thousand and One Nights are like that and, and other, I mean, other sort of ancient stories, not ancient, they're not ancient, but sort of stories from, you know, the Decameron and Canterbury Tales and, and you know, fairy tales kind of have that quality to them. Um, but in the, you know, when you do sort of make them concrete and try and sort of tell a, a cinematic narrative with them, like people will have questions and then, and then, and that's, you know, that's, I think a, the job of a filmmaker is to either answer those questions or to tell the story in such a compelling way or such a sort of fanciful way. We, I think this is why the movie is told in this fanciful way is to sort of allow us to accept these kinds of inconsistencies and things like that. Um, so if that, if that element of the film works for you, you kind of go with it. But if that doesn't work for you, then then obviously it's all going to come crashing down, which is, you know, which is sort of the delicate nature of these things. Right. Yeah. Um, it's the gamble sure. of any filmmaker telling a story that's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I think, you know, I I, the, I mean, getting back to the idea, because I, I do like I actually really love those scenes of the, of the gym kind of going around, like looking at the collider and stuff like that and trying to sort of tell that story in a way that almost makes it seem like a fairy tale as well. Like the, the language that he uses to tell it sort of like, I loved, I love that element of the film. Um, the idea of like science becoming kind of this fairy tale narrative narrative. But it but, almost makes me wish that like more like, like that they weren't trapped in this hotel room for like two hours or that the structure of the movie were completely yeah, honestly, Different. like I wish we didn't have the Shiva part. I wish we didn't have the Ottoman Empire part. I wish we only had the Zafira part. I wish that like hmm. they got out and did some shit sooner. I didn't find their like tape level, like in a hotel room talking about stuff. Um, <laughs> you mean like Linklater's tape? Yes, exactly. Wow, that is a that is a deep cut. <laughs> 
Uh, it's like, it's you good, know, good callback. Wow. What's a movie where people are stuck in a hotel room and just shout at each other a lot? It's tape. It's got to be tape. <laughs> so, yeah, I just can, like it. That would be like, that'd be just like the worst double feature of all time. <laughs> to the tape 3,000 years of logging double feature, which I guess you'd have to do tape first. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, um, I just, I just couldn't, like, I just was not, I didn't, it would either, it either had to end in the hotel room or they had to, like, get the fuck out of that hotel room. Mm-hmm. Like, it would, it would have been, I don't know. It, like, if they had fallen in love as he was, like, learning about the world and opening up more and, like, telling her more of his story so that, like, you know, their animosity, like, or or distrust lingered over the course of like months or whatever instead of 12 minutes or however long we're supposed to believe they spend talking in bathrobes. I don't know. Like, I think it would have, it maybe, I don't think it, maybe it would have worked on me. I don't know. I just know that that is more of what I think could have worked for me than, mm-hmm. than what we see here. Like the, the end is, is there's so fucking much that starts happening and you've already been through a whole movie and you're just like, like she gets home and she like has this whole thing about like, you can't put the bottle through the x-ray, but he's fine. Or maybe that destabilizes it. I don't know. But then, <laughs> but then like yeah, she comes out dies. and, and angry older female Bert and Ernie are just like, <laughs> hey, what's up? It's time to be racist as fuck. And she's just like, you two suck shit. And then later <laughs> on, she gives them some, some canapes or whatever it is. And is that a thing? Do you know what that is? Because it looked and sounded really good. The chickpeas sort of yeah. cereal. The chi- yeah. The yeah. Chi- I don't, I, I, they I, they I, look I, like crackers. No. Well, I'm, they, I, they, I don't, I don't know what they are. I mean, they, they looked, they looked, they looked intriguing. I, I, I got the sense that they were like a thing that the, the gin <laughs> are able to sort of conjure up. Um, yeah, I did yeah. see that in another story. Yeah, but I mean, like, it just feels like that would be one of those things where, like, I don't know. I was going to say, like, if it took place in Scotland, he'd be like, here's my famous haggis. Like, this is one of the, the, the food of my people, you know? So I, I thought we... maybe it was, like, a thing. Like, you know, oh, it's Schfoyatel. It's, it's Oh, a, no. It's I, got, I thought it would be more like manna from heaven or... Or ambrosia or no, something. No, because he gives yeah, a recipe. Yeah. They don't, uh, the gods don't eat chickpeas. The people eat chickpeas. Well, he, he, was, he was saying what's in them, but I didn't think he gave like the rest. I mean, I, I, I got the sense that this, they were almost like magical concoctions. Um, I'm going to watch this and, movie again just to to find out what he says they are made of. You want to eat, drink, man, woman then, version of this And then movie. I'm going to Google it. <laughs> so it, it's, it's possible there. It's a thing that exists. But um, what I was going to say, though, was like I do, because Brian, you you noted the um, how you wished like some of those earlier stories weren't around. Like I thought, I mean, I thought they really helped set the stage for the other story. Like I feel like, I mean, again, I, I feel like that it's a delicate balance. Like you kind of have to have those so that you can be, because if you tell just the one story or even just two stories, mm-hmm. um, then it's a lot harder to get away with some of the more fanciful ideas in the stories that like, then I think the viewer interrogates the story more. Um, so you kind of cool. have to have these other elements to give a sense that, okay, like we're sort of in a, 
different realm of logic almost. Like it's like I, a fairy think, tale, but, you know. I think I think a couple of things. A, uh, I'll say this just so I can kind of own up my own mistake um, or ignorance, I guess, in this case, uh, London is 37th in the world in terms of U.S. or in terms of U.S. population, <laughs> in terms of population uh, at 9 million, just over 9 million. And uh, Istanbul is actually the highest uh, populated uh, European city at 14 or 13 million seven hundred and fifty one thousand so it's number 15 in the world so it's almost double (laughs) london's so my bad i think his issue was not so much the exposure but the exposure over time i i i just want to move on it's possible that it was a time thing you're right maybe he like is break and maybe that's why he's able to come back and then like he starts to break down like maybe he's got like six days Seven nights. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think the idea of I think again, I, I think the idea of I mean, look, Istanbul is a very loud city. It's not a, like I don't think the idea is like when he says loud. I don't think it's supposed to be like literally about volume. I think the idea is I mean, one, it's a sense that he doesn't like it there. That's 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 what that's really telling you. Um, but I think also there is the sense that um, the modern world with its science and all this stuff and, and, yes. and, and, and the and, Wi-Fi and, 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 and less room for, um, for, for magic and fable and mystery and that sort of thing. And, and myth that is sort of spiritually loud for him, I guess. Like the idea is that he can't find a place in this. Um, but he also starts and, to like turn to dust. So like, yeah. Spiritual, perhaps, but also definitely physical. But, but he's also—I mean—he's a din. He's a spiritual being, right? I mean, th- yeah. that's where that's where the metaphorical quality of the thing. Like, so, it, so in a story like this, well, well, in a story like this, if somebody's falling apart spiritually, they are going to probably fall apart physically in some way. Too, that is I also, yeah, I, I, I. I, I brought that up not to rehash this argument so i don't know why we ended up doing that anyways but that's you okay you uh, better. we should have just put it at the end uh, of the yeah it's a, yeah it's, it's a fascinating argument sorry i i didn't mean to like yell at you like <laughs> in an angry way i probably came off that way but i thought I, like i do think it's a fascinating notion though you know like because i why like, when i yeah when, why? I, when I saw the film why like, is this happening to him yeah like when i saw the film i didn't think he meant loud in terms of like, oh, you know, it's just. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Loud, like, that's not loud is I, definitely. There's a lot of interference. Right. Yeah, he, I would say. He lets I mean, her it, listen to what he can hear and see. And he's like, I'll get used to it. But it's not it's not those well, signals that I think are the problem. The problem is that he is being he is electromagnetism, as we learned. Um, and he is being irradiated. And I think he his his physical form is literally being torn to shreds as though it were like Chernobyl radiation, you know, like as though it were like, you know, in, in the, the HBO miniseries Chernobyl, which is fantastic. Um, what's his face? Lane price. That's not his name. Says, <laughs> says, um, that's his name. That's someone his name. look up the actor's name. Um, Lane price says like, you know, every atom is a bullet, you know, tearing through you, shredding your tissue, shredding your DNA. And I think that's, what's happening to, to poor old, his name is just Jin, right? Like we never get like. And they a name. just call him Jin. His name is not like Patrick or something. <laughs> <laughs> Jared Harris. There we go. Yeah, Lane Price is Jared Harris. 
Um, um, I, the, the reason I I wanted to make that correction, but I also wanted to pivot to something because we were talking about um, kind of the opening sequence, the the Shiba sequence, and one thing that struck me was I don't remember there being a lot of there there is some here and there, but I don't remember there being a lot of weird mysticism or weird magic or kind of other fairy tale besides just the djinn at the outset. And I don't know if it like all the stories after that one don't have as much of a mystical quality. It almost seems like they're, they're actually being told, you know, um, did anyone else kind of pick up on that and find that strange or odd or like, doesn't she have a vision of like some kind of, she has the Ghost vision of demon. She has the the little the, this. I don't know mm-hmm. the right way to say it. the the man of of diminutive stature <laughs> who sure. accosts her at the airport, and then she gets the the dude who's super fucking tall who swallows her in the uh, the what's Medusa it the the lecture hall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, the ghost I make a note. I just that's that's all current timeline. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I just want but, to say, but we none of the, the other of the episode we record like an hour and fifteen minutes later, so my brain is falling apart, and so if I'm having <laughs> trouble getting words out, that's why. <laughs> I have hiccups right now. Um, Wait, did anyone else notice now? that? I don't know. <laughs> it's because you stifled me. Oh no! So she definitely just... talks about, isn't it Enzo? And in like her is her made up friend. That seems mean. Her imaginary no, friend. It... Enzo was her baby that died. But no, but it was yeah. also her imaginary friend from like her girls' school. They were going to name. I don't remember that. They were going to. Oh my! How do you not remember that? The, he was made um, of paper. Yeah, her invisible friend. Yeah. But I don't remember his name. His name was. I'm almost positive his name was Enzo because then I was like, oh, they were going to name the baby after the the imaginary friend, which I don't know if I could get away with because I'm pretty sure my imaginary friend was named like. Like stick or something. It was just like <laughs> it was mine not, was Helga Zelda. Helga, that's a good name though. Like if you like Helga Zelda Bar, mm. like if Zelda Clearly was the middle not. name. <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh, I think I found the the recipe, guys. <laughs> oh my god! It was just like croutons. No, it's that's it's what like I thought it was. God's croutons. I'm gonna put this in the chat. Uh, and you all can click on it, and you will see that these not only look like they could be it, but actually appear to be made in the same shape as the ones in the movie. This is and bonus content, and you should oh, cool. okay. join our Patreon. <laughs> yeah, join okay. our Patreon. But, Go to the Slack channel. I'll put this in the food channel. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like a, little stars. It's a Persian chickpea cookies with pistachio, because cool. she says it's like chickpea, clove, and pistachio. Anyway, it's I don't know how to pronounce this. Nane Nakochi? I don't know. I'm I'm not gonna try and pronounce it. I've never heard you, of these. You are our best cool. hope for knowing how to say Yeah, it. no, this, these are these are not these are not uh, a, a food familiar to me. They they look actually they they do um I remember um when when they when he made them, I thought to myself, this this seems like something that that like would show up in a lot of um older books as being like the most amazing thing ever, and and I would eat it, and I'd be like, no, this is way too sweet. Oh, for so me. it would be, it would be like the Turkish delights from a uh, fucking Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. 
Yeah, although I love Turkish delights. I love Turkish delights, but I think the um the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh wow, this is a real tangent. So there is a, a candy bar called a Turkish Delight in the UK that is disgusting. Oh, <laughs> it's like it, interesting. It's like a, it has like chocolate on it. It's really, really horrible. Um but uh, so you're saying but it's it called might not Turkish have been delight. like real Turkish delight. It might have been like if you sold your family out for a zero bar. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like not even <laughs> not like like I, I believe that that's not even a zero bar. It's like I'm trying to think of something that that in the U.S. that's similarly just I, I don't know like a Three Musketeers. You know? <laughs> okay, but see, I like Three Musketeers. Oh, see, I see, okay. I'm anti nougat, so. Oh wow! Yeah. I don't, so that's I don't mind nougat. I don't mind nougat. I do have a problem with just like pure new it should yeah it feels like one of those things where you're like this shouldn't be the star of the show but that's, it's, like, it's like one of those things like you eat it and you're like oh i got a defective one this doesn't have anything in it right you know it's like, like the, that's how it that's how so it you think that this is just c.s lewis's idea of what turkish delight might have actually been all i know is based that, like, on some 1940s candy bar that's terrible you read lion the witch in the wardrobe and you're like man this kid sold out his fucking family for this stuff it must be great and then you try it and you're like Man, being fucking British sucks. I think I think that, I, I mean this is from the man that said if you wear lipstick and tights, then you can't go to heaven. So I think I'm okay. I mean, I think I think it's yeah. I mean, yeah. I know, he might have a point. <laughs> You're such a monster. It, I think I think back then it was maybe a beloved candy. I don't know. I mean, it, it managed to stick around. Um, but, but I was always, I never read those books, but I remember people talking about Turkish Delight and things like that. And I'd be like, interesting that Turkish Delight would show up in these books. Um, I love Turkish Delight, but it is, you know, it's it's an acquired taste. Not everybody loves it. Up. Um, but anyway, well, I'm going to make these chickpea cookies and uh, I'll see what happens. Report back. Yield Wait, is 30 I- small cookies, two hours and 30 minutes, but they are vegan. Yeah. So there's that. How much of that? Can is we cooked? talk about geography for a second in this movie? Because that's not something I, I, I just help me kind of map this out. So we start off in the the kingdom where the Queen of Sheba lived before she became Solomon's wife, and I'm assuming that's somewhere in Africa, like Sub-Saharan Africa. I have absolutely no idea. I don't know. I, 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 I I'm not sure. I don't know that much about. The Queen of Sheba, so. Where was Sheba uh, located? Hold on. First question in Robin's query is nobody knows. So <laughs> well, am... it's just a question mark, right? Like, where did we start? And then somehow we ended up in the, not it's Levant, in Southern but Arabia, like... but also with Ethiopia and East Africa. Yeah. So, but but there's there's a there's a jump there where he talks about how it sort of, you know, how he sort of traveled from. I mean, like an eagle carries him and drops him in some water and stuff. So, I mean, an, like it's there's an eagle. There's there's also a war that happens in between. Yeah. Uh, somebody like gets lodged. He gets he gets lodged in somebody's eye, and then I mean, so it just sort of becomes like an Eternals kind of origin thing. And I was like, what the fuck am I watching? Well, that was anyway, but I guess I'm just trying to figure out like he just makes his way west just through, you know, thousands of years of drifting. There's no other event because he does stay in the Ottoman Empire. 
for quite a while. And I thought maybe there would be more movement after that. Yeah, I thought he'd end up in like, you know, 1880s New York, you know, and a scrappy <laughs> newsie would find him and I don't know. All right, now you're just writing fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> My gin fan fiction is going to get weird. Look so the idea is he stays in the, the Levant Mediterranean, like Byzantine. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's what we're supposed to take as fact here. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a way of sort of getting him from the the world of the Queen of Sheba to the world of, you know, the world of the Sultan. Um, And he, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, the idea is that he's always trapped inside the bottle. I mean, I I do think it probably, you know, if, if you could sort of like if the idea is to be of movement, you know, he would have moved, you know, each story would probably take place in a totally new, you know, totally new place. And then that would, you know, maybe make a little more sense just in terms of like narrative movement. Um, I don't know why he's stuck in. I mean, I, I, I get it within the story, like the narrative reasons why he's stuck there, but I don't know why George Miller decided to, you know, set the bulk of the film Right, you've you know, got the it, option. That, that's where I guess my, like, it just seemed to be missing some balance. Like, hmm. I think I would have expected each story to have its own geographical location. And then it just seems like we're uh, static for a while. Again, well, that's geographically. Why I said that the, uh, the story with the, the, two, the two brothers, like, seemed really, like, interminable for me. Because, like, well, he, he's... Oh, he's well, also no, because it's not just the two brothers. It's also the fucking exactly. Uh, it's like yeah. the pregnant slave woman. Yeah, and then like yeah, so that whole section I kind of squashed together, and it's just like, how long is he going to be stuck in this fucking bathhouse? Well, the, well, the idea there is that he has to be. He's stuck there. I mean, the the bottle is stuck there, and so he's like haunting the halls of this place. Um, so he's not there physically, but he's kind of sort of compelling people to try it. Like he has, I mean, his powers are, are ill-defined at this point, but um, yeah. so he's, he's stuck there because he needs to be like, the bottle needs to be freed from, you know, from under that, under that stone. I do think, I don't know if the film, I can't remember if the film actually says that Zephyr section is in Istanbul. I, I think it is. It kind of but feels. In the, in the A.S. Bayat story, it's actually set, I believe in uh, Smyrna. Uh, Izmir, which is actually where um, George Miller's mom is from. Um, yeah, yeah. His mom was born uh, before in the tower. No, she wasn't born in the tower. But but uh, you know there was a big Greek community in uh, in Izmir called Smyrna back then. Uh, and then after the Turkish War of Independence and the, the Turks, you know, the, the the consolidation of the Turkish Republic, there was what. It's called the population exchange, which was basically the Turks that were in Greece came over and then the Greeks that were in Turkey went over. It wasn't it, it wasn't like I mean, there's still lots of Turks in Greece and lots of uh, Greeks in Turkey. But um, but it was actually I mean, the population exchange was kind of a, a traumatic event. A lot of people died and there were a lot of massacres and stuff like that. It was a kind of a, a terrible, terrible time. sort of like the partition. Um, uh yeah i mean not not as 
dramatic as the partition, but but some, some of the same dynamic. Like, you know, in, in the arc of history, it's like a clean movement of populations. And in, in its particulars, it was pretty horrible. Um, right. You're just like, well, you know, compared to how this could have gone. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, but like she was two when she moved. So so she was from that area. So he's I think he's always been fascinated by that area. I think that's why he was drawn to making the film in Turkey. But but I think um, I think that part of the story originally is set there. And I think that might have been why he was so fascinated by it initially. Hmm. Have you read the original short story or the I have yeah, short story, right? I have. I don't I don't remember all of it. I mean, the short story is very different. Um, it's the gin is actually uh, a, a relatively small part of the story. Most of it's about actually the character of Althea isn't even called Althea. I can't remember what she's called. Um, but uh, but the story there's a lot of there's a lot about her childhood and stuff like that, and and a lot about like narratology. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, it's very if you're familiar with A.S. Byatt's stories, it, it it feels very much like one of one of her her things. Um, so. Uh, so like the film is very much a simplification in a, in a, in a reduction of the story. Um, I like the, I like the film more than I like the story, but, but I, I was, in, I was intrigued by the story. Do they get I it only on read in the story? I, <laughs> I do. I, I will say I didn't read the story until after I saw the movie because I, I was not familiar with the story initially. I will say that between this movie and She-Hulk, it's a great time to have a giant slash giantess fetish. <laughs> they're really moving into the mainstream in a way that I think furries were hoping the cats would help them move into the mainstream. <laughs> that's it. Me, me uh, talking about obscure sexual internet cultures. That's what I've got to add at this point. <laughs> yeah. What are, what, are the very, what, what are the various fetishes on display in this movie? Oh um, my God. There's so many. I mean, leg yeah. hair. Leg yeah. hair, yeah, yeah, natural leg hair. Lots well, no, leg hair. Oh. supernatural leg hair. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's supernatural. <laughs> SSBBWs. Yeah. What? Wait. What is the SS part? Supersize. Oh. Oh. Okay. I I didn't realize there was like a a, a superset of BBWs. There's a gradation. I did not realize. Um. Now I know that. <laughs> now I can never unknow that. Um. Dudes covered in grease. I don't know. This <laughs> fur, just like fur <laughs> on your body. Just like, oh yeah, if you want to be locked in a thing of sable, can't. I mean, <laughs> it's not terrible. It kind of looks like it could be comfortable, but it, I also imagine it smells like fucking terrible in that place. But yeah, I don't know. Like, it's it's. Okay. I think it says something that I when we were talking about this, I suddenly went, oh my god, that's right. There was that whole other thing that happened that I couldn't remember. Like the the. I kind of wish that like his stories added up to more than the sum of their parts is like a really cliched and hacky way to say it. But like, I kept expecting like her to make her choices and her wishes with relation to like sidestepping the sort of like, uh, Aesop's fable esque, like morals of each story. And instead she was just like, nah, I'd like you to love me. It's just like that, dude. That doesn't ever work out. It's like, why is that your wish? But, but, but I, but I see. I thought, see that that worked for me because I thought, like, she knew it wasn't going to work, turn out well, or I knew it wasn't going to turn out well, and yet she did it. Like, I like the fact that she knows it's a cautionary tale, 
or she's worried it's a she's stuck inside a cautionary tale, but then goes ahead and does it because like, you know, life is a cautionary tale in many ways. Right. Um, Oh yeah. The entire purpose of my life was to make all the mistakes to warn my daughter about. Yes. Oh, good. Oh, I was just going to say, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, um, no, I'm curious what you made of the use of language in this movie. Um, doesn't uh, Idris <laughs> speak Turkish or? He does, I... Yeah. No, okay. he speaks Turkish. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's all right. I mean, it's actually I was surprised by how much Turkish he talks he speaks in the in the movie. And it is it's weird because a lot of the things he says are not words that that I would use. And and I actually think that they probably tried to um give him a kind of older Turkish to speak. Um like there's certain words that that he, you know, that, that he says, I'm like, well, that's not what he would say if you were in Turkey today. Um, but, uh, but he, I mean, he speaks with a heavy accent, but the understanding is that he's not actually from there. Um, you know, he can, he can learn languages, but he's not necessarily going to speak them without an accent. Um, which is why also his character has an accent. Like when he speaks English, he has an accent too. Right. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, he, he, he did okay in certain parts. There were some other parts where where it was it was it was a little dodgy. I thought he I thought he gave a really good performance in the film. I, I don't like Turkish is not an easy language to 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 pronounce. Um, if 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 you're not familiar with like other languages that are like Turkish, um, and and you know I've I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of like bad Turkish pronunciation uh, in my life of watching movies. So <laughs> so I'm not going to hold him to it high a standard there what are other languages sorry this is just going a bit of a tangent but what what would you consider other languages like turkish oh so i wasn't thinking so much of languages related to turkish but languages that have some of the same sounds mm-hmm. um what's it's actually kind of funny because for years um i mean turkish actually has like weird connections to mongolian um really yeah and and oh because uh, of the turkic uh like peoples well, maybe so so for years turkey was kind of or turkish was kind of considered as part of a, a group of languages i believe called the ural altaic languages and right and, like in the and, caucasus yeah and i think, I think maybe like i want to say like the initial well, no, so so it wasn't in the caucasus it was it was turkey and then it was mongolian was in there i want to say like finnish was in there or something like that and when i was a kid and i would like talk Turkish with my parents my my friends always said sounds like Korean um and I think Korean actually has like some weird similarities to Turkish as well the sounds I don't mean necessarily any of the words but then after the Soviet Union fell apart and um the various uh republics kind of emerged from the shadows um people realized not people realized I mean this was always around but but it was some, not necessarily widely known and certainly not widely known in Turkish, in Turkey. But like, you can chart Turkish, or I, I, at this point, I, I shouldn't even call it Turkish. I don't even know what to call it. Like, you can chart the language as it proceeds from, um, from uh, Xinjiang, basically, uh, wh- where Uyghurs live. The Uyghurs, Uyghurs mm. the, the Turks consider the Uyghurs to be like distant cousins of theirs. Um, and Which makes sense. Yeah, so so that I mean they are Turkic people, and so you, it kind of goes you, like cuts a swath from there to Turkey, 
And then in each country along the way, the language is like 100 years removed from its previous iteration. So like, for example, from Turkey, like I, I spent some time in Azerbaijan because my dad lived there uh, in the 90s. And um, the people there speak like something that feels to me like a hundred year old version of Turkish. Um, like what Idris Elba is speaking in the movie. Well, no, no, not quite, not quite. But they are like, but, but I mean, uh, it, it's also, there are a lot of like, Russian words added into it because obviously they were, you know, part of the Soviet Union for so long. But then like, then you go to like Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan and all these other countries. And it's just like the, the language goes back another hundred years until you go to, when I was in China years ago um, in Beijing, they actually have, I don't know if they still have it, but there was a street of Uyghur restaurants. Um, and I went there and I, and I started like talking Turkish to people and, and like they could kind of understand me and I could kind of understand them. And that some is of, like, so interesting. Words were, num- the numbers are the same. Um, and it was it was really interesting talking to them. I mean, the ones who understood me best were people who had like been to Turkey. So they actually had some mm-hmm. idea. Um, yeah, it was it was it was really interesting talking to them. Um, uh where did we, how do we get on the subject? I, I find this so fascinating. Yeah. Well, we were talking about the performance, but now yeah. you're sort of giving like a whole <laughs> other layer of, to what, you know, could have contributed to this character. Yeah. But it's interesting though, because he comes from, I mean, not that he comes, but like this, you know, the, the Turkish language comes from, uh, from sort of, you know, the West, it comes from the West. It comes from Asia, um, and you know, Jin are more of a um, African uh, Arabian uh, mythology, I think. So it's it's a, he would he would come, if he came from some place. If he came from any place, he would come from a different place. But um, I was just going to just an addendum to this thing. You know, t- Turkey also has like a real nationalistic streak, um, modern Turkey, um, and that then because of the you know, these, the Turkic republics emerging, um, that sort of extended to the way they think of the Turkic republics. So they think of them as very much like Turks, mm-hmm. whereas the Azeris will be like, you know, we're Azeris and the Kazakhs will be like, we're Kazakhs gotcha. and the Uzbeks will be like, we're Uzbeks. And then like the Turks are like, no, no, they're Turks. They're Uzbek Turks. They're Kazakh Turks. They're, you know, Azeri Turks. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's this very sort it's of like a claim, but paternalistic kind of thing that the relationship that we have with, um, with people in these other republics who have their own lives and their own, and their own interests. But, um, but the, the, the last thing I'll say about this is I remember I was watching Turkish TV once and they actually had, um, a, a Kazakh historian talking about a, a famous battle that had happened, uh, back there you know, many, many years ago. And they were interviewing this guy and the guy was speaking Kazakh. And, and it was incomprehensible to me, but they like refused to subtitle it or they refused to sort of translate what he was saying. Like nobody could understand what he was saying because he was speaking. They have a lot of the same words, but they're like pronounced it, you know? Um, And so you couldn't like, you could kind of vaguely tell that he was speaking a language similar to yours, but you could not, figure out what the hell he was saying but for the turks it was like oh no no he's speaking turkish he's just speaking an old form of turkish we are not going to subtitle this like it was they they had to had to pretend like we were all speaking the same language even though we're not um that's so anyway i thought i always thought that was fascinating 
It reminds me of like being in Italy and the Southern Italians making fun of the Northern Italians for like mm-hmm. being prissy mm-hmm. and then you go up North and they're just like, Oh, those fat Southern Italians <laughs> and how you can't understand them and all those. Yeah. Every, everywhere you go, there's some weird power dynamic between different geographies. There's you know, some, it's, it's, there's yeah. a weird thing that's happening on TikTok, And yes, this is the part of the episode. Oh my God. About TikTok. <laughs> <But> <laughs> there is, there is a, a, it seems as though it's just one single European TikToker who is hell bent on trying to prove that Britain is more diverse than the United States of America. Oh, wow. What, and because of, like, Viking history? I don't, you know, I don't know. Because I I only see people stitching her stuff. So I get, like, the first half of what she's saying. And mm-hmm. then they're, like, you know, so, like, she makes up all these, like, statistics or, like, completely misinterprets them. So she, like, and, like, she claimed that, like, America had a national language. And we don't. <laughs> like, that was actually a huge part of the 90s culture war was people wanting to like finally just make English the national language and people being like, no, that seems unnecessary. Like it'll be fine. Um, and just like, yeah, like basically she also, uh, it's, it's, it's like this insane thing where she's like, America's the only place on earth where if you speak a different language than the national language, which again, we don't have one, like people will yell at you and tell you to go back to where you came from. And it's just like, that's just like an insane thing to say out loud if that like like britain literally had or like the whatever i don't even fucking know what to call it doesn't matter i'm too tired literally had brexit because like they hated the polls that much like it's just yeah and it's and like um yeah and just, like she like flattens um like all uh like latino peoples down to just being latino peoples and so like british ev- I don't like someone said that she's actually like a British person who's living in South Africa. So I don't know. Oh, wow. I don't know what her. Why, why, are, why are we giving extra voice to this person that clearly is not doing anything <laughs> right or good? Yeah, she's, she's a terrible person. But like, you know, but the good thing is that it actually has led to a lot of like people kind of talking about the diversity of America, not just in terms of like, oh, like all different colors and creeds, but like, you know, people talking about like we have like. Colombian populations, Mexican populations, Ecuadorian populations, like Dominican population, like, and just like, you might say like, oh, well, you know, most of your, your like non-white English speaking people just speak Spanish. But it's like, dude, that doesn't mean fucking anything. Like, what are you talking about? Like, the ways that we measure these things are all broken. It's, it's insanity. Like, it's not monolithic. And I think that's, that's the point Ultimately, well, the, it's like none, the, none of this is monolithic. And if we would just there's go nuance, to, right? And yeah, but if we would just go to xenophobic Bert and Ernie, but females' house and give them <laughs> a nice warm plate of I didn't understand Nani Naknoshti Naknokhodchi, then they would be happy again. Um, that was I, an interlude that I felt like was not necessary. They went from zero to full fledged racism so fast. <laughs> That it was. Yeah, as soon as you shocking. saw their faces, it was. I didn't. I, I, I didn't love that section. I, I mean, it's it's a very small section of the movie, but um, I, I I didn't feel like that worked either. But but I I I sort of. I mean, they were they were shot and and sort of performed in such a kind of overdone, stylized way that it just felt like it just felt like part of you know this fantastical story. Right. That, I, I, like, that would show. Up. 
I kept expecting them to like open their mouths real wide and swallow her, like the guy in the, the lecture <laughs> did. Like they really felt like they were not yeah. on this earth. Um, they might have, you know, they might. I mean, they were they were demonic, right? Um, Do you all recognize been. them? Yeah, they're from they're Vuvulini from the. Uh, oh, that's where they're from. Okay, I was like, why do these old white ladies look so familiar to me? What did yep. you call them? Old white ladies. The Vuvulini. The Vuvulini from uh, from Mad Max. For Mad Max. Ah. Uh, they're in Old Town, Gas Town. What, no, what is they're it? in oh, like Vuvulini-ville. <laughs> The, no. They're the uh, they're the they're the um they're from the green place. They're the, they're the, the green place. They're, they're the people that Furiosa no, is no from. There is no green place. There is there was a green place. Now it's right? like a mud yes. place, right? Right. That's where the people on the stilts are. Yeah. Or the, the well, the, she they they pass the people on the stilts by that point. But yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, that's bait. That part, that section. Which, by the way, um, that actress uh is also in the movie. Playing the Sultan's wife. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, I, I, for, I forgot her name. Uh, um, but she's uh, Megan Gale. Is that her name? Uh, she, uh, I think, uh, she was also supposed to be uh, Wonder Woman in George Miller's version of Justice League. That never, that never got me. I keep forgetting that he was supposed to do that, like for a hot second. DC has a, a lot of failed projects like that. Yeah, yeah, I remember when what's his face crazy dude was supposed to be Batman. No, nope. Nick Cage was supposed to be Superman. Correct. <laughs> that was Tim Burton's Superman. God, thank God that never happened. Um. Yes. Anyway, Jimmy wow. Cameron was going to make a Spider Man. Like it. It all goes back to Zaslav. It's just. <laughs> Yeah, hundred percent. That's DC what? doesn't have a vision. Now we're losing like a bunch of Sesame Street episodes. Yeah, that was really weird that that <laughs> happened. I'm not even entirely sure why that happened. Um, well, I'm not entirely. I didn't. I didn't quite understand why they had Sesame Street episodes, right? Yeah, that's I PBS. Never, right? They did. Uh, they Clear did a deal with PBS. Mm, okay, but they're still on PBS, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's Sesame Street is created by and and initially distributed. Or no, not initially. It is a PBS production, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the is, is HBO it, is, had like first rights to it, or like that's what they that cash influx was hmm. so that they could air the episodes first. Well, that was kind of the rumor around uh, why this latest Predator movie actually ended up on Hulu uh, was because apparently they may or may not have signed some rights away that it was going to stream on uh, HBO Max. And Disney was like, nah, let's let's not let's not. Well, I think what it was, was that if, if it had been released theatrically, then it would have had to stream on HBO Max. Correct. Um, so by bypassing the theatrical release, they were able to legally make it a Hulu thing. Um, it just seemed so incredibly petty, but I guess it makes sense. You know, I mean, I guess. I mean, guess, we yeah. we, yeah. we live in a world where they canceled a Batman or a Batwoman film to just basically write it off. And it's just like, wait, what? What? That? How does? What? Like, you know, if 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 we lost a shit ton of money on a potential thing nobody would give a shit about us you know they just be like oh well sucks for you man it's like well but eh, yeah but for a giant fucking corporation i guess 
It's a tax write-off. Cool. I, I feel like we'll we'll wind up seeing that that movie at some point. Oh yeah, that'll yeah, that'll you know. be a, a a movie or a TV series for sure. Yeah. Uh, coming on HBO Max soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember when Snyder Cut did not exist. <laughs> remember when the right, Snyder look, Cut was weird? Hamilton. Good? <laughs> Let's get the fuck out of here. It was it was fine. I I I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the, Snyder the Snyder Cut. Yeah, no, I watched that I, I, whole thing. good. Better I, than the I fucking it, original. <laughs> I watched it twice, and and the thing I the, but the thing about the Snyder Cut was obviously, and I think he even said, you know, that cut was specifically designed to be. Was it like a, a, a three episode series? Um, well, that was which is I why mean, it was so long. And I feel like, yeah, and I, it, like, as soon as I watched the Snyder cut, I was like, all right, this is this is actually pretty good, but like, I'm gonna need a new cut, <laughs> like, I'm gonna need like the three hour cut, like something more manageable. No, I, yeah. I was cool with the episodes, especially because I think the first one was like, don't count on it, Batman, or something. And the second I saw that, I was like, I feel like I'm in good hands, but like, yeah, when <laughs> well, they first I, I, talked I, about the, 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 the Justice League. What was it? Well, it was the Justice League, right? That was yeah. the name of that movie? Yes. Okay. I get Justice League and Batman v Superman confused like every day. Um, what I was going to say is like when it was first announced, they're like, yeah, we're doing one and two and then we're doing something else. And then at some point they're like, nope, it's just going to be one of them. And everyone was like, really? <laughs> I don't remember that. I thought there was. And they're like, nope, that was never a real thing. So weird. These fucking people don't know what they're doing. Which is how George Miller gets a bunch of money to make this weird ass movie is because every once in a while they're just like, sure, why not? He gets and it is a bomb, unfortunately. Yes, it-, it made less money than Beast, which is in its second week of release, and which I will once again plug. Beast is a good movie. I like Beast. Beast um, is great. I, I mean, this I was never going to make a lot of money. I don't yeah, think. I mean, that's the thing is I was like, look, I feel like everyone should have known this was not made to make money i mean i think and i think that's fine i think when when the initial deal was struck the initial distribution deal was struck i believe um miller negotiated a wide theatrical release um sort of make sure that that it got one because because i remember it premiered again i guess earlier this year Nowadays, there's always that kind of um. Sorry, <laughs> some some water. It's all right. It's eleven no, o'clock at night. You have earned the. <laughs> right. I, 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 this is this is like this is like my this is my main period of uh of, of like working actually. So um, I'm a late. Uh, I go to bed very late. But, no, but what I was gonna say was I think that he was probably worried that it was gonna wind up like not being released at all or getting getting just like a cursory release. So he probably negotiated this wide theatrical release. Um, mm-hmm. Even though a movie like this probably should have been like a, you know, a platform release or something like that. Right, this 100% should have been like a Paramount Vantage, Sony, like Goldwyn signature or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, what's the? Yeah, yeah. Gold, Sam, Samuel Goldwyn releases. Samuel Goldwyn. Like a, or what like what, what, uh, what so are this, other films in that sort of a vein? I don't even know. I just remember all the trailers on all the DVDs I bought of like independent films where they'd be like, you know, this is like a, this is like, you know, it's like the, we have our like indie premature, imperture label that we're like, you know, so we'll release mm-hmm. it on 300 screens. And if it like does better than X per screen, who knows, maybe next week it'll be 500 screens and like, we'll fill the landmarks and then maybe... We'll see if we can get into the AMCs and the Regals. Yeah, I mean, once upon a time, there was there were all these 
all these studios had their kind of uh, indie, quote-unquote, indie distribution. I guess in the wake of, like, success of Miramax, everybody sort of got one of these, I guess, I guess Paramount Vantage was the one you mentioned, right? There's, like, Warner Independent. yeah, Pictures, so I'm right. gonna I'm gonna read off just a couple of Paramount Vantage's releases. So it looks like Paramount Vantage began. It be, it was Paramount Classics. It became Paramount Vantage, and that's kind of when I caught wind of it. So Babel, um, Year right. of the Dog, Black Snake Moan, A Mighty Heart, which is funny, Into the Wild, No Country for Old Men, Margot at the Wedding, There Will Be Blood. Um, It's like big Oscar movies. Yeah. Son of Rambo, The Foot Fist Way, The Duchess, Revolutionary Road, which got brought up in a Slack a couple days ago. Uh, And then Nebraska apparently was the last one. Um, Hmm. But yeah, so films like that where they'd be like, all right, we're going to like, we expect it to go wide, but we're going to start small just to make sure that the, 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 the need is there for it. And then we're going to. Is that what everything everywhere all at once did? I don't know. A24. Yeah. A24 usually opens semi-wide though. Like they don't do like, it's technically a platform, but it feels like it starts off on a pretty big platform. Right? Like, isn't that kind of the thing? Their whole spiel was like, we're going to release these movies like they're real. They're like, not real. That's mean. Like they're like, like, you know, normal. It's also mean. I don't know. I'm going to stop talking. They probably, I I think, I mean, I think it probably varies. Like certain films probably get wider releases than others. Um, But, uh, and then they sort of slowly ramp up. Mm -hmm. I think, I don't remember how many theaters everything everywhere all at once opened in initially um but but yeah no but like 824 is trying to replicate that that pattern of release i mean that was a pattern of release that existed before the studios got in on it but but that was kind of you know early 2000s mid 2000s was kind of the heyday of of that type of film um but part of that was also because the studios like the main studios had sort of stopped making Know, more you know sort of medium budget smaller films not smaller but like medium budget films adult dramas adult dramas or for that matter adult comedy <laughs> um but uh but i think what happened was a um that area was like taken over by indie movies or independent films and then also like quote unquote independent films i mean obviously disney bought miramax and then these other companies kind of had to have their own versions of it um and, and then they realized oh wait you know, we don't need to have these either. I think Focus hmm. Features is the only one that still exists, right? Yeah, but is they the like others? suck now, don't they? <laughs> Do they? No, they've they've had some good films. Didn't they? I what thought they the went through like a real bad fallow period recently. They did. I think I feel like I mean, didn't they? Hang on, let's let's look up what. Look, I feel right. like they did. They did. Uh, oh, well, so it's universal focus, but then it becomes, I guess, just focus. So let's see some of the more recent stuff. Uh, 2010s. So the last one I'm seeing the silent twins is coming out soon. Oh, tar Armageddon time. These are things I've heard honk for Jesus. Save your soul. Curious. So big Oscar movies. Uh, yeah, well, Vengeance, supposedly. Miss Harris Goes to Paris. What's funny is, is that my conception of focus features is purely movies with titles like Miss Harris Goes to Paris. It's Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. That's what I just said. And oh, it's, it's actually Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. 
<laughs> what? Oh, because she's. It's actually originally called Mrs. Eris. I believe. Yeah, right? yeah, that's there's an earlier version of it, right? There. Yeah. Um, it's a book from like the yeah, 40s. But they did like, like they did licorice pizza. They did last night in Soho, Belfast, the Northmen. You know, they they done some. Oh, they did the Northmen. Yeah. Why? That, that was like that? that was I think their most expensive movie yet. I think that was like they spent like nineteen million dollars. Why on did I think that the Northmen was Lionsgate? Because it idea. fucking should have been Lionsgate. Yeah, <laughs> like Lionsgate, it's definitely Lionsgate got that would have been able to feel. release that movie. They would have given you a trailer that was just like just all blood and guts. Yeah, and, this fucking summer, get ready to get drenched in blood. <laughs> yeah, like Lionsgate would have. Lionsgate would have done a great. I mean, I don't know. If, I, actually, I don't know what Lionsgate is doing now, but like a few years ago, Lionsgate Classic would have done the great Lionsgate bait and switch with that movie and made made off with a bunch of money in two weeks before everyone realized that it was a it was a robert like they would have pulled a drive you know basically like they would have gotten sued because someone thought that it was the vikings oh my god yeah no focus features for me will always be the 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 company that released the constant gardener which is a movie that i love don't get me wrong oh christ oh why 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 are you christing me um, because that's like a fall asleep to it movie. No, that's a great movie. That's like a little nippy nap movie. At the end, it's, he's in love. Like they were fully in love the whole time. The the the, const- the, the constant gardener was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> love is the greatest constant gardener of all. I will I will say I I don't love the constant gardener, but the constant gardener is is one of those movies that like. You know, I just I just wish they would make more movies like The Constant Gardener. And, yeah. you know, um, so you're thinking because I feel like your idea of focus features is maybe what my idea of Sony Pictures Classics was once when they kind of did that type of movie a lot. Like Hyde Park on Hudson is 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 a focus features movie. And in my mind, that's a Sony Pictures Classics movie. Hyde Park on Hudson. That is, yeah, Hyde Park on Hudson is the one where fucking Bill Murray plays FDR. Is it? Yeah, and he fucks his cousin. Or I thought this was job. a. Wasn't that an HBO movie? No, no, <laughs> no. That was a real ass movie. I swear to God, there was another HBO movie with a very similar title, where like Cynthia Nixon plays Eleanor Roosevelt. No, she Cynthia. No, what is there? That? Have been another. There have been other. Uh, I'm sure there have been more than one FDR, FDR movies. Movie. But, yeah. But, but, <laughs> fucking John Voight. I think I'm just in, conflating in these movies. Brick was a uh, a focus feature. Silent Hill was a focus feature. Eastern Promises. Yeah, man. I swear to God, in the 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 aughts, focus features was like my shit. They released Coraline, Sin Nombre, Aww. A Serious Man. And then suddenly the invention of lying and pirate radio close out that decade. And I think I was like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like the focus was, I mean, focus was. Um, they released Hannah was, and Beginners. The, Beginners, one of my the, favorite the, films of all time. They did a number of Joe, Joe Wright movies, I believe. And I believe like Joe Wright and like Ang Lee were kind of their filmmakers. Oh, my two bros. Okay, I'm thinking of a movie called Warm Springs. So it is about FDR, and it also has a geographical title. <laughs> I d- well, also, like, the Sam Sunrise at Campobello is, like, the classic, uh, you know, FDR, I guess, you know, his He's a FDR fucking pop dog. culture. <laughs> 
I also would never go to a place called Warm Springs. That just sounds gross <laughs> to me. My friends being like, we're going to go. This place has like seven movie theaters and the best restaurants and we'll pay for everything. And I'm like, great. I've already got a sitter. Where are we going? And they're going to be like, Warm Springs. And I'm like, stay at home. <laughs> nope. Why are the springs warm? Exactly. <laughs> I don't trust a warm spring. All right. That feels wrong to me. <laughs> I, um, I, as we were talking, I was thinking about. So one of my original points about uh, 3000 Years of Longing is that it reminds me of 90s movies and I could not give you an example of why. And I kind of figured out and maybe I'm completely wrong about this, but it kind of gives me like Jumanji vibes. Huh. And it might just be that it's like the janky CGI or it's not even janky, but it's just like not the sort of photorealistic CGI. But it's it's, you know, about people kind of shifting through time and there's like adventure to it. And this idea of storytelling and mystery and I don't know, it just has that sort of like lore Mm. that I don't see a lot in films of this era or at least big films of this era. It's this mythos. A couple of people pointed out that it was, it it had a Terry Gilliam esque quality to it. I mean, I love Terry Gilliam, uh, but I, that was not, a reference point I thought of when I saw it, but you know, after they of, mentioned it. Yeah. I mean like Gilliam and, and honestly Fury Road Miller in my mind are very similar, like chaotic mm. close up frames. Gilliam is another, uh, I keep wanting to say author and it's not the word, another director where it's like, I'm going to mostly feel revulsion. Like I know that, his angles and his close-ups and his makeup and everything is just going to turn me off. Hmm. Um, also big on practical effects. Yeah. yeah. And I, maybe that's where like the grossness goes. We're like, I have recollections of like zero theorem, uh, Tidelands, other Gilliam movies recently where I'm just like, Ugh, I don't like this. Like uh, even I fucking love fear and loathing in Las Vegas, but like, it's a gross movie. It's got a lot of claustrophobic <laughs> like stuff that sucks, you know, and it's but like that's kind of the point. And having, you know, had my drunk years, I like it, it fits like that's how it feels when you've had too much. Um, the room yeah. is spinning and everyone's popping at you. I, I mean, the Gilliam films that I think this maybe more resembles are, um, you know, Adventures of Baron Munchausen and um and uh, was that uh, the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, both of which are also about kind of like the importance of storytelling and all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, William, most of his movies, I think were made in the age of um, practical effects. So, you know, he did those, I think he didn't have like CGI budgets and almost killed his crews as a result of it. <laughs> All right. What are our final thoughts? Yeah, I was about to say, we've gone longer than I was expecting, but this has been a very edifying, uh, fun conversation. Absolutely. We've we've beaten the movie running time. Guys, we did it. (laughs) We did it. It's not that long a movie. That's the thing. I was always, I'm always surprised uh, by the fact that, I mean, it's like 107 minutes or something, 106 something. I thought it was like an hour and 48 minutes. Yeah, that's, this sounds about right. Um, It feels like longer than Beast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> beast is such a such a great sort of this is exactly how long this movie needs to be 
type yeah. of film. Beast is the 93 type minutes movie. with credits. <laughs> yes, 100%. I, I really enjoyed Beast. And uh, yeah, it, part of it is that thing where it's like, I don't feel like they're stretching this. I enjoyed the the long takes that weren't like ostentatious kind of long takes. They were just like useful long takes. Yeah. Yeah, I like Beast. I like uh, I like watching Idris Elba fist fight a lion. You really like it I don't know, we can't talk about Beast. It's like 11:16 right now. Okay. <laughs> Let's wrap it up. Robin and I got to get to bed. Um Beast, Beast does have like I watched that movie and I was like, uh, I Brian, so, I how are you gonna how are you gonna say I can't talk about Beast and then I start talking about talk Beast? About Beast. I really want to talk about oh, this Jesus movie. Christ. Um, it has this like you really like it really does get across the sensation of like being a father, where it's just like oh, I yeah. will I will protect this child if it kills me, and in fact, me dying is prob- is the thing that will keep this child safe, and yeah. like that's such an awesome thing to see especially embodied by Idris Elba like because he's <laughs> fucking amazing so yeah so that's what I wanted to say um go see Beast it's out in theaters now uh you can also see uh 3,000 Years of Longing it's they're they're both in theaters now they, you could take like a, a a long afternoon and see both of them as long as the times work out all right uh Bilga you're our guest any last things to say about this before we head out for today uh no i mean thank you for having me thank you for letting me talk about this movie um yeah, I'm, I'm 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 sorry you guys had to watch it <laughs> well robin liked it right? no i liked it i liked yeah, it a lot yeah that's yeah. yeah, no, sorry. um but i can but, see why other people it might have been too precious for somebody else but you know i'm fine with it just subtweet me robin just <laughs> <laughs> no, no i mean i think it's you know it is it is it is a it is acquired taste isn't the word i'm looking for but it is a very particular kind of movie right and and it's not like it's like if you're not on its wavelength it's just not going to work like the whole thing depends on you being on on that particular wavelength um and some movies are like that i mean some movies you know some movies are i think very good at just sort of working in a whole bunch of different ways and and you can sort of as a viewer sort of pick what parts are what what parts you're going to gravitate towards whereas this movie is very much and i think it's kind of clear from the beginning uh where it's kind of like this is the kind of movie it's going to be and uh you, you know you might as well leave if it's not going to work for you you know yeah but of course i wasn't going to do that well sure no of course you, just, uh, yeah, yeah, you have a podcast a and we're talking about it yeah no but yeah all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, that is all of our, that's more than all of our time for today. Um, so ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening and following us down these rabbit holes that we uh, dug for ourselves. We are the rabbits. Um, Everything from the history of the Turkish language to <laughs> chickpea <beast>. cookies. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. We learned something. We all learned something, right? The I focus features. We've all, we learned the history of focus features, Paramount Vantage. The uh, contracting of movie distribution, the rise of streaming. We've all walked out here a little, a little richer, a little, a little closer, a little more full, and a little, a little older, but also a little wiser. I gotta fucking go to bed. All right, uh, that's all. We are brought to you by patrons over at Patreon.com/slash/FilmStageShow. Give us your money. We are brought to you by Movie M-U-B-I.com/slash/FilmStage to see some good old Hungarian animation. Uh, mubi.com slash filmstage. Rumbar, what are we talking about next time?
I think we're off for Labor Day. Hell yeah. So we need to talk about our next Look, film. It might be a classic episode. This might sound like we're all having fun, but podcasts are labor. Um, they are <laughs> real labor. They are emotional labor. And I think it's very important that we be brave enough to say that. So it's a good thing we're taking off for Labor Day. <laughs> Okay, that's it. Um, so yeah, that's all. Let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time that we ramble incoherently into their ears until Bill yells at us. Uh, let's begin with our guest, Bill Gabiri. Where can people find you online? Uh, I think vulture.com is probably the best place to find me. That's where most of my stuff appears. Uh, and then on Twitter, I'm at uh, B-I-L-G-E-E-B-I-R-I. All right, Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Billstagram, and you can find me on Slack mixing it up. Nice. What about Rob and Helga Zeldabar? <laughs> Close. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, my name, R O B Y N B A H R, and sometimes my writing is on The Hollywood Reporter. Nice. Um, uh, yeah, you can find me at my personal site, BrianJRowan.com, on all the social media sites of which I am a part, at Brian J. Rowan. Uh, you can find out about my whiskey making, which I didn't talk at all about in this podcast. I think breaking a long streak of me somehow finding a way to plug my uh, whiskey making into this. Anyway, we have bottles. There might be a genie in one of them. Come and buy one. <laughs> Go to SchmidtSpirits.com to learn more about that. Um... And that's all for me. So don't forget to go to face, uh, Facebook. Don't forget to go to thefilmstage.com to find my writing, our writing, and every episode of this here podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. So listening to those huh. lyrics, it's it's very clear that this movie is just an adaptation of that song. Yes, I agree. <laughs>